Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Marvel's World Podcast, a podcast where we speak to transcendent and fantastic people, people who help people like you and me make what we love a full-time job. If you like this episode, share it and give us a review on iTunes or, Am- or Amazon. Today, we have an absolutely awesome guest. He is all the way from Canada, and he is going to inform us on the Canada scene and how, well, he is a man who I've gigged him many times, and let's just say, um, do not heckle him. <laughs> he, he is a beast in comedy, and he's very funny. Yeah. And please welcome Dan Brennan. Oh, I love that intro. That is, you keep complimenting me all you want. You could have talked for another five minutes. I would have been fine with that. How are you, Marvin? Not too bad, man. How have you been it, keeping Dan? How- it, it, it has been tough because... Uh, we were in lockdown, uh, it feels like about a year ago, we started lockdown, and then they put us into something called a red zone, where we were allowed 50 people back indoors, so we could open up the comedy club again, and we could open up comedy shows uh, after going about eight months without, uh, but then people didn't behave, you know what people get like when they get around alcohol, and the COVID numbers shot up through the roof, so they shut them down again, uh, so there hasn't been any comedy for like the last 10 weeks. Uh, so it's been, uh, it's been really, really tough, but I, I feel, I feel confident that there'll be comedy again sometime this year, you know, uh, we'll have to see how that goes. I know that you have a story and what's, how did you fall into comedy, Dan? Um, well, I'm only, I'm 46 and I only started in comedy when I was, I was 41. So it's a stretch to say that I, that I make my living from comedy. Uh, it's it's hard to do in Canada to be a full-time comedian. Uh, if you want to do it, you have to go to the States. Uh, I have two young children, so it's going to be a while before I get to go to the States, uh, like somewhere like New York or LA. But I'm okay with that. I think you're probably better off showing up with 10 years, maybe, maybe as much as 15 years experience under your belt uh, before arriving in New York or LA. It might be a good leg up, right? So, um, I, uh, I got divorced. Uh, I was in that stage of trying to figure out what to do with my life. I'd always wanted to give stand-up comedy a try. Uh, and um, I started writing down what I thought were jokes. And like, whatever time I have a funny thought, I'm going to write it down. And when I get 100 of those funny thoughts, I'm going to contact the local comedy club. And I'm going to see if I can get a spot on the amateur night, right? So it took like a year. I had 100 things written down, I think, on a piece of paper. And I'm like, right. So I emailed the comedy club on a Monday. They messaged me back on a Tuesday that they had a spot for me on the Wednesday. So I'm like, oh my God, what am I gonna, what am I gonna do for five to seven minutes, right? Uh, so I printed off the hundred uh, joke ideas that I'd written down. I realized that they were all garbage and, and just basically talked about my wedding and my kids and a joke about Garth Brooks. Uh, and like, so I went up there, there was about six people in the whole place. I think half of them were performing. Um, and I panicked at about three and a half minutes. I pulled the sheet of paper that I had my jokes written on out of my back pocket. I allowed myself that cheat. I, I wrote, read the last thing that was on the page. Like, this is how, this is how panicked and stressed I was. Uh, I read the last thing on the page and I knew I still had loads of time. Like I knew I wasn't going to film, film my five. Right. But for some reason, my mind was like, well, you've read the last thing on the page. You couldn't possibly go back 
and read off anything else that's on the page. He read the last thing. <laughs> I mean, like that was the end of that page. I don't know why my brain was thinking like that. So I just said thank you and uh, and walked off the stage. But like I knew right away, I was like, boom! I, you're an idiot. You should have done this years and years and years ago. So. <clears throat> That's it. I just started hitting open mics from there, um, trying to work on on my stuff, get a reputation. Uh, I think it was harder for me being middle aged because I don't have that much in common with a lot of the comics um, who are a lot younger than me. But at the same time, I think a lot of them were like quite standoffish because I'm sure middle aged guys show up and try comedy all the time as part of a midlife crisis, right? And then none of them stick around, but. You know, about a year into it, people are like, oh, hey, you're, you're out every night, aren't you? And you're like, yeah, 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 I am. Thanks for noticing, you know. So uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's just been great fun. I, I love it. I would, there's nowhere I'd rather be than at a comedy club or a comedy show. Uh, to me, it's never a bad time. And you must know the, the, the kinds of crazy, crazy uh, uh, people we've bumped into uh, over the years, even with the madhouse that is the menagerie of comedians you bump into. Uh, I would rather be, you know, at, at, at a Liverpool match maybe, but definitely, yeah. uh, uh, definitely in a comedy club or at a comedy show, you know, it's just my happy place. Yeah. Cause I think, the other thing, when I was divorced, I ended up working a night shift job. And if at any point I'm, this isn't light enough or whatever, let me know. But uh, we, had, we had these iPhones that you're supposed to use to scan anything in this store, right? But you could get YouTube. So I started listening to a lot of podcasts like Mark Maron and, and Comedians Podcasts, right? And I just started like recognizing, they would talk about like things that they do or the way that their mind works or, or whatever. And I just started seeing connections to, to what, what the way my mind worked. And uh, Rob Reiner was talking about uh, a friend of his. He grew up with a very funny comedian. You've probably never seen called Albert Brooks. Uh, and like he said, Albert used to go to parties. He'd do the two or three bits or stories that he'd thought of during the week. And then like, he'd want to leave. He'd be like, I don't want to be here anymore. And I'm like, Oh my God, I do that. You know, like I'll think about, well, what am I going to talk to these people about? What can I say that's going to be funny? I'm like, well, why, why don't I do this on stage if that's the way I'm already thinking? So it's been, that's been the realization that I, you know, I should have been doing this all along. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've, I, I know what you mean, because I, 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 when I saw a lot of comedy on, on TV before, I wanted to do that when I was about 17 or 15. Yeah. But, but people put me off it they said things about this and that, and that's what stopped me from doing it. But right. Well, it's not a, it's not an, it's not an easy lifestyle. You know what I mean? Um, in, in a lot of ways, it's like having, and this is one of the older guys in our scene, uh, Manolis Zontanos. This is what he said. He's like, when you're starting out, it's like a full-time hobby. It's like, you've got a job and now you've got a full-time hobby on top of that, that you can't, you know, back away from if you ever want to get any good, you know, but you're, you're in there quite deep. You, you run your own shows uh workshop that that's the first one i ever went to was that one at the grove in hammersmith uh on the night the mercury prize was on uh, <laughs> that was fun i because i was staying in kent this is like two septembers ago okay and i was staying at a friend's in south bromley uh and i ended up day so i take the train into hammersmith that's 45 minutes right and uh, there was two people at the show, like like two people showed up. It was just one of those nights you can't help it, right? 
Uh, they seemed to enjoy themselves. And I took a train, you know, 45 minutes to get back to where I was staying again. I'm like, this is no different than doing comedy in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, well, it, it's, it gets like that. Sometimes the shows go well, sometimes they don't. Yes, but funny, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, I run a, it's now a monthly. We used to do it weekly, but we drove it into the ground and had to take a break. Uh, it's at a, a British theme pub, uh, a very much a soccer pub uh, in the heart of Hamilton. And I, I tell you, like, you see where my back wall is? It's, it's an old converted home. So you're, you're performing in what would be like the front well of the house. And the bar's 15 in front of you. And the only thing behind the bar is the bathrooms. There's no other talking area. There's nothing, right? Uh -huh. So, like, people are locked in. If you're, if you're in the building, you're at the show, right? Which can be tough at a pub show, right? Because you get a lot of people there that didn't know there was a comedy show going on. Um, but... Some nights have been absolutely dreadful and other nights have been amazing. In comedy, we don't necessarily do the business, as you say, entrepreneurial things. We don't do it right. The amount yeah. of times I've heard comedians say, oh, this person hasn't paid me yet. Or, you know, you, and they keep chasing yeah. them. And then you still do gigs for them. Oh, well, that, 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 then you're, you're a glutton for your own punishment. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're the housewife who uh, can't leave a domestic abuser, you know, at that point. Exactly. <laughs> there are some shady, shady venue owners out there and so many that like seem clueless. Um, but I, that goes for the comedians too. Like if you're not getting paid and you continue to run up a tab with these people, that just seems, that's ludicrous to me. You're undervaluing yourself is what you're doing. And, um, but you know, comedians can be uh, just as bad. Like when I started, when I started in Hamilton, I'll never forget. There was a, a there's a Hamilton comedy community thread, right? And someone's like, we don't have enough shows. Uh, you know, we need a place we could do workouts, like on a Monday, because we lost our Monday room. We had a great Monday room, Ooh. right? <clears throat> it had a patio in the summer. You know, we could draw a crowd because it was right in a little area of downtown Hamilton called Hess Village, which is just all bars. So if you're doing the show outside, you could draw a crowd in and, and work on your jokes. Um, but we lost that. So there was this thread going on and people are like, well, why don't, why don't we go and ask the cat in the fiddle? And uh, the response was, we can't. Uh, this person punched the owner. Uh, what, about, what, about, what about Gallagher's? No, huge brawl broke out the last time we did a show there. But you know, that was that generation of comics and, and people that were in the comedy scene. Uh, that's not this generation, right? So there has to, when things open up again after the pandemic, uh, you just, you know, we've got people I feel now who can run shows properly, okay? Because I've known guys who've gone out and gotten a new show. They show up and they do the first one and the first one does well because you can get friends and family there, right? And the second one, they'll get a paid gig somewhere else like Toronto. And at the last minute, they don't even go and host their own show. And it's only the second one that's ever been done at that venue. Like, that doesn't seem, if I'm a venue owner, I'm like, well, that guy's not really committed to this, is he? You know? So yeah. you got to, it works both ways. You know, I can see that uh, on the venue side, they've been burned by comedy before. You know, if not that it costs, one of the great things about comedy is they don't have to mobilize a lot of things to get a comedy show into their venue. You know, what are you going to do? Move chairs? set up a mic like, like yeah. you know we're not talking about a light show or having to pay 
uh, you know, for someone's tour bus or anything like that. You know, we're not talking about moving in drum kits. We're talking about setting up a microphone. Well, I think the, the big issue with a lot of things is that if you pay, you shouldn't be paying people trumpets, not trumpets because they're expensive. I meant like you shouldn't be paying bloody peanuts and expecting a lot of returns. And I think that's for comedians, promoters, and that's, yeah. that's the be all and end all. And I think yeah. that's, that's what needs to change a little bit. And sadly, you know, with every art form, there's a business side of it. Okay. Um, so yeah. Uh, if you're going into a situation uh, with a venue, you need to know what, what's possible. You know what I mean? And like what, how to protect yourself. So <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. How, uh, how, see, I'd rather, I'd rather when it comes to working with the venue, focus on marketing the bloody thing. You have such an opportunity with social media these days, right? Uh, that, you know, I think any show can be a success if it's marketed, right? Yeah. But also about building community as well. Yes. That was one thing I wanted to mention. Yes. Mm. Most, a lot of the comedy shows that I come into, especially in London, they, they treat the audience very robotically. So like when the show's finished, they go home. But there's right. no talking to them before the show. There's no talking to them after. There's no building a bond or community so that they come back. Right. It's just boom, 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 done. Right, right. That's interesting. That's interesting. I haven't done a ton of shows in, uh, in London, um, so I, I, I wouldn't be able to comment. Um, I, I, I think that, that more and more is becoming a big part of it, uh, is that interaction. I know comedians that, uh, you know, they've got a, a stack of follow me on Instagram cards, right? You know, so they, they hand those out at the end of a show and they're around to talk to the audience. Because that's what I meant about like things changing and, and comedians getting a better sense of entrepreneurialism uh, and the sense that they're in business. Because it seems we're at this stage where you can't just be a stand-up comedian. Um, you, you, you have to be a podcaster. You have to be uh, making skits. Uh, you have to be doing all sorts of media. You know, you have to build, I hate to say the term, but you have to build a brand around it. Uh, I'm not going to do any of that. I've, I think I've cracked how to get to the next level in my comedy career. Uh, and I'm just going to end every set by pointing out that Vladimir Putin is only five foot two. Uh, and then, you know, when the KGB comes to get me, the attention around that will propel me to the next level in my career. Like, fuck podcasting and doing skits and all that shit. <laughs> well, I mean, that might be the next thing. Who knows, Dan? I mean, I think, I think this Political. is going to... Political. Get again. <laughs> this, this, no, this is getting deleted too. No. <laughs> but I, I think, I think, what is the next thing going to be? Because now all comedians are focusing on the podcast and social media. But what's going to be the next thing after that? to try and get famous well in in the day job i'm the business development director for a content development studio uh and i know nothing about well i knew nothing about content development two years now i i run our social media it's actually one of my favorite parts of the week i wake up at like six depending on what i have to do uh on a monday and i just go straight to our social media manager and I make sure all our posts are in place for the week and there's not a comma out of place. And I do a little research on news and add a few. Um, and everything is, is short videos. I, you know, to me, the comedy poster is going to die. Because uh, the way you're going to reach the audience is by find, giving them a really funny one-minute engaging video 
where you can highlight what they're going to get at the show and why it's worth X amount of pounds, right? Um, because video is taking over the world of marketing at the moment. So uh, that's that, like when you finish this podcast, you should be taking little chunks of the wisdom that I'm dropping here today. Uh, just little bite-sized chunks of it and then putting it out on your social media channels to drive traffic to the larger piece, right? Use a small piece to get them interested in the larger piece. So, I mean, I think you're going to have tons of material to work from. Uh, don't spend all day editing, you know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't, don't get me started on the editing sometimes with the podcast. It takes... Yeah. Uh, it's 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 an inch i don't mind doing it it's quite easy to focus on mm. but i think it, one thing also if you're just a small podcaster who's beginning it and growing you can't just leave the podcast not edited like you can't just if if the podcast is you can't be like joe rogan where some of his are two or three hours long because you're sure. not famous so no. you can't do that no 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 yeah I, there's a lot of like research behind this. You can find it quite easily on the internet, but uh, you know, I, I hear segments are really good. People like we're going to talk for about an hour today. Uh, you're going to edit some of that down, whatever. Um, it should be what's wrong with a 12 minute podcast, you know, like get your ideas across. Uh, something like this is a bit more evergreen though. We're talking about big picture stuff you know, like the state of comedy and how we got started and things like that. But there, there's got to be room for something punchier and quicker, you know, when something happens, like say, for example, uh, where are you guys at at the moment? You're still in lockdown? Like there's no clubs open? No, not until I think April or... April, right, yeah. right. So yeah, like get all your ducks in a row for when that comes back. And, uh, you know, I guess there'll be, there'll be lots of new venues to go after. Now's a great time to talk to them because they're not doing anything else. Yeah, that's true. I can You're say, not interrupting right, their right. dinner service or their lunch service, right? No. I gave myself a good idea. Oh, screw jumping on social media Monday. I'm phoning every venue I know. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> it just it says in the subject line, it can't last forever. <laughs> uh, I would do that, but I think you'd hear a lot of tales of woe. I think uh, it's been really hard on uh, restaurants for the most part, right? So yeah. I don't want to be phoning places. They're like, no, we had to sell. Might be a good time to buy a club. Yeah, right? That's true. Yeah, I mean, it's, but so many are going down as well. So, I mean, that's, I mean, it's a good and bad thing. <clears throat> yeah, um, well, the, the, the closest club to, to me, and, uh, you know, I, I host the amateur nights on Wednesdays. I do guest spots on the weekend, and I, I serve there from time to time, right? Uh, some nights we sit around and we talk about just taking the brand, the Levity Comedy Club brand, uh, and taking that around the province, you know, or, or the country, you know, Levity Comedy Club on tour. But they're building so many houses around here. I think there could be an opportunity to, to build a second club not too far away. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. Like if it wasn't, if it wasn't massive, right and you can maybe get a couple of other people using the space uh or it was on top of a restaurant or something like that i think there's room for another another club in this area it's just i don't know what people's appetite coming out of this lockdown is going to be like you have any thoughts on that about like do you think people are going to be like gung-ho yeah. or yeah yeah definitely gung -ho to get out to the clubs 
Yeah, because they've not seen it for so while, so they'll be very preached. And plus, there's less there's less clubs around now, especially in London, because there's quite a few that are going to go down. Yeah, yeah. So now you told me a bit about how you got started in comedy, but what what was there anything in their youth that sort of set you from it? Because I mean, I hear you've had an interesting story. So you spent some time in in Northern Ireland, is that right? No, I was born in Northern Ireland. I was born in uh, uh, Belfast. We moved to Canada in 78. But when I finished university, I went, I went backpacking across Europe, you know, because uh, that's, what, that's what cool people do. Uh, and I just, I wasn't ready to, to settle down. You know what I mean? Like, I think I, my plan was to go to teacher's college. I'm like, another year of school and then a job for the rest of my life. Uh, so, yeah, I went backpacking. And when I ran out of money, I ended up started working in London. Um, and I don't know. I... I feel, because we've been talking today about, you know, a lack of knowledge. I really feel that period of my life where I was working night shift and I was listening to nothing but podcasts. It gave me such an arsenal. Like, I felt like I knew what to, ex not, not I knew what to expect from an audience, but, uh, you know, I felt like there was more, there was more knowledge to work from. And I think one of the big keys was, I always had it in my head that you had one shot, like you go out and if you're really good, you get to do it again. But if you're lousy, you'd never get to do it again. And that is so untrue in comedy, right? So I was listening to a podcast and this one famous comedian was saying, uh, go out and suck a hundred times. Like go out and absolutely die a hundred times. And at the end of those hundred times, decide if there's something there. Decide if it's worth carrying on. Like if there, there might be some sort of talent there. And as soon as I heard that, that was just so freeing. I'm like, oh, Oh, you don't have to be good out of the blocks. You could actually fuck it up and not be ostracized, right? <laughs> like shunned out of the town. You're not funny. You thought you were funny, but you're not funny. Uh, you know, because being funny is, is a huge part of my identity. Um, you know, so to have that ripped away from you in one well, gladiatorial experience would have been, uh, would have been very unfortunate. But yeah, like that was just so free. So that, I think there was, there was that lack of knowledge and just that, that, that fear of the unknown is a massive reason why I didn't get into it uh, uh, when I was younger. Yeah. And what have, what's been like your, your journey in stand-up as a whole? Like, have you, have you beat anyone up? I don't know. <laughs> but have what's I been your journey? Up? No, I don't. I, I, there's, been, there's been very uh, little aggro. Um, I think, you know, for the most part, uh, people, we're, we're Canadians, so we're nice to begin with, right? Uh, I think I, there's, there's, there's frustrations. Um, I realized I wanted to go f as far as I possibly could in comedy very early on. And I remember speaking to a guy, I won't say his name because everybody in Toronto hates him, but I've, I've only met him this once. Okay. And he said, and I was kind of moaning about the fact I'm like, yeah, you know, but being 41 and starting out and kids and jobs and that, yeah, so I'm probably, you know, I'm probably kidding myself. And he's like, man, everybody's behind the eight ball when they start in comedy, everybody. You know what I mean? Like you look at someone and you think they've got a massive advantage on you. They're, they're deficient in some other area. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Like everybody, the idea of, of, of being a national celebrity or, or national touring comic that, that, that is still pie in the sky, but um, you know, everybody's behind the eight ball when they start out. And that was very, very, very freeing as well. You know, like you just, just concentrate on the jokes and the performances. So that, that's what I've tried to do. I don't, 
I don't like get to hang out after shows as much as I would like, cause I got to get up and work the next day or, you know, I'm picking up the kids or, or what have you. Uh, so I think that's hurt me. You know, I think like any business, like any industry, like any art form, you're going to gravitate and want to work with people that you like. Right. So not having those bonds, um, I think that's hurt me. You know, you're easily forgotten if you're not around in comedy. Um, but yeah, I, I just love writing a joke and taking it on stage. That's been a huge part of the journey too. Um, there was a documentary on the comedy store recently. Uh, I don't know if you saw that uh, or if that would be of interest to you, the, the comedy store in LA. Uh, but that's what they talked about, like never stop writing. So that, that, that desire to keep writing, like to write every day and to develop those really good habits is part of, part of the journey as well. Yeah, I've I've seen there's one in the UK one and there's one in the LA one and it's, oh, it's, right. it's I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, isn't it, with the story of the UK comedy store. Don Ward went to the LA one and then decided to set up his own. Right. I'm gonna what so they're not connected? Uh no, they're different brands in a oh, way. Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's crazy. But they're both they're completely different the way I set up. So the, the LA Comedy Store, mm. it's a bit less organised than the UK one because right. they have and they often serve food whilst the comedians on. Right. And, well, it's a bit strange as well. Is that they have someone do ten minutes at the start and then introduce comedian and then the comedian comes on, then the next act, then the next act, and that's that's it. Whilst in the UK comedy store they have a host induces the act and then he goes and does a bit again then you use the act there's a bit again and there's the act. and then there's a break in between for people to collect the food and the drink right 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 yeah yeah that's the one thing i noticed about doing shows in london is the breaks in the shows uh because we don't do that which is so weird because we live in a non-smoking world you know what i mean like people are dying for a cigarette halfway through there's probably not that many smokers left but yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. And I think like the theory in Canada is that you don't like your show wouldn't be longer than an hour and 20 minutes. Okay. But the idea is that you have to keep building momentum to the headliner. A great show, you know, starts off and builds and builds and builds and builds to a crescendo when the, the headliner can just walk out and absolutely kill it. You know what I mean? Like that's the job of everybody else on the show to make sure that the headliner has the easiest time ever. Uh, so yeah, so the idea of taking a break in the middle of it, uh, is just terrifying. <laughs> they oh. might leave, they might run away. We can't have them run away. Yeah. That's, that tends to be, if, if a show hasn't gone, gone well at my, my, my nights and it's struggling a bit, I know that that's what's going to happen. So I just push through the second half when that happens. Do you? Oh, smart man. Smart man. That's, that's. Yeah. And that's another thing. Like, I think like comedians are different when, when I'm at a show, I'm paying attention to the show. Uh, a, because I'm interested in the material that other people are doing and, and what their take on certain subjects is. And B, I, I find I'm just like always critical. Like if I was the host, I wouldn't have done that or blah, blah, blah. You know, like hosts can be selfish sometimes. They go up there, someone's just had a great set and they're like, Oh, I'm just going to do jokes until they stop laughing and then introduce the next guy which happens, right? And I just, like steam would come out of my ears when I see something like that happen, right? And I think there's other comedians who can just show up at the show, 
you know, they'll, they'll pay attention to other comedians, but all the stuff that's going on with, with the quality of the show and, and how it's being presented, it, it doesn't bother them one iota. It's, it, they don't even notice it, right? You know? So, but I'm the kind of person who's like, boom, okay, what's going on here? Because I love nothing better than, than, than trying to work on, on reading a room and figuring out which jokes they would laugh at by the time I get up there, right? You know, <laughs> or being able to do a callback to something that's happened earlier in the room. Uh, I think that's really important too. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Is that your dad? Hello, dad. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I had that. <laughs> I was worried about that. I'm glad he's your dad. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> no. Well, that's the sweetest thing anyone's ever said. I like it. Uh, <laughs> no. Um... <laughs> I have that a few times in the podcast where my parents will pop in and it gets some very funny reactions when they pop in. <laughs> <laughs> I waved. Uh, your dad didn't wave back. I won't hold it against him. Should I keep these in those podcasts? I think I should. <laughs> Every time my parents pop in. Dude, there you go. You've got, you get a collection of those, right? You could pop that out as a one or two minute video at some point. The perils of podcasting, you know? Um... Be better if you'd thrown something at him, like "Get out, Dad!" <laughs> this is my computer time. <laughs> oh, next time I do, that's a good sketch. I just watched the reaction of the person there saying, "What is going on?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. Good stuff. But I mean, I yeah, I find that quite interesting as well to find out how the room works and like figure out what works best here, what works well there. And, you know, the greatest thing about it is you can never, ever pick it. You know, you can never pick it. Like sometimes we do shows uh, at Legion Halls in smaller towns and you look out and the audience demographic skews older, as the marketers say, right? Like it's an older crowd, right? So you're like, oh, they won't like any of the dirty stuff, right? They're not, you know, they're not, they're not going to like any of the dirty jokes. Um, as long as they get the pop culture references that you're making, I find in small towns, you know, they, they, they do actually like a good filthy joke, you know? They kind of get that what they hear in the comedy club isn't reflective outside, right? So, uh, yeah, so you can never, you can never, there's no science to it. You can have your guesses. You can have your theories as to what works. Uh, you never know what you're going to get with a crowd, right? <clears throat> yeah, and, and it's... it's um... I think, yeah, the th I, I find, yeah, there's two things that do get on my nerves. Like you said before, if a host doesn't put any effort and then they introduce you to a completely dead room. But yeah. also one thing that irritates me is when someone doesn't put any effort in to be funny, when they just yeah. go through the notepad and they're yeah. bombing and they're bombing and they're bombing yeah. and yeah. they're not doing anything. Right, 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 right. Yeah, they, see, these are just the little things that seem... And I, once again, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm bragging. At the level I work, you see a lot of people who, like, they're barely hanging on. Do you know what I mean? Like, they, they, they think they're on their way to being a great comedian, but they're just lacking the common sense. Like, if you're bombing, isn't the simplest thing in the world just to switch gears with a joke that you know works? Like, we all bomb. You know what I mean? Like, everybody bombs. Uh, a good bombing never hurt anyone. But, like, if you're really, like, if the audience is paid to see the show, um, then, you know, you got to have something in your back pocket that you would, you could bring out and get them back on side, you know? And if you're out there doing new material and it's not working, go to the stuff that does work. 
I always like to, to do something I know they'll like off the top, or at least I think they'll like, and then close with something. And then, you know, in, in the middle, you can have a bit more freedom with, right? Yeah, when, they've, when you're like, oh, this guy's not shit. I don't mind this guy. He's not a complete weirdo from the bush. You know, I can accept <laughs> him. But, yeah. Or I don't have to worry about my drinks around them. That's, I think, when they, when they got that, you can get away with all things. I think, yeah. yeah, and that's one thing I found interesting as well. Once you've got the show warmed up as a host, uh, they really like you and they like the show. It often doesn't, is much, quite easy. I mean, I've seen many times of the shows where I've really warmed them up well. It's been yeah. a piece of piss for the actor to before. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that, that just makes for a great, just for a great night out. I love it. I love it when things happen in the room, like like callbacks or, you know, one comedian making fun of the other, uh, as long as it's all lighthearted. <clears throat> and I love the fact that the audience is seeing something that isn't recorded, isn't something that they can just go to their, their DVR. I think that's the real, like whether they laughed harder than they laughed the last time they went to a comedy show or not. If you can present them with stuff that they think they're seeing for the first time and will never see again, uh, you know, like those little callbacks and things that happen in a room, like when a chair falls over and someone makes two minutes worth of material out of it, you know, or like someone, uh, so, uh, uh, a comedian who's really good at crowd work. Uh, everything seems so unique to the audience. Uh, that, that's, that's where I think the real gold is, when you can present them with something that they're not able to just go and buy the you know, download of or whatever. Uh, that's what the live show is all about, right? I mean, yeah, it's not the same in the Zoom shows. I mean, it's, it's too, especially the ones where you don't even see the other comedians and you're yeah. telling your jokes. Well, I had an idea when Zoom, when Zoom shows first took off, um, like, and to, to market it around this idea that you would have a designated laugher, right? So I think it's because there was a show in the States called Designated Survivor. But for every comedian, you turn the microphones on to three or four people, right? And it becomes like a badge of honor to be chosen. Everybody loves to have their opinion, right, out, out there. So I don't know, like, but yeah, the format's never, ever going to lend itself to live, live performance, is it? No. No. I, th I think it's because it's so limited. I think when you have maybe improv or you have a bit of like the heckless show that we've been a part of, and I'm sorry yeah. for putting you down. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but um, no, it, it's unless there's more to it than just someone standing there telling jokes on Zoom, I think it's very, very difficult for it to work. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's just not right. <laughs> no. But the one thing I will say about Zoom uh, and, and through your Heckler show, uh, which I always, like, I don't, I, I, I recently, before they shut it all down, uh, I, I won a Heckler show. Oh, look at that. Oh, hello. I don't know who that is. It can't be good. I didn't recognize the number. Not good. You're not, you're not interrupting me and Marvin now, whoever you are. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, maybe it's a sales call. Maybe it's. The... Hopefully, oh, someone to talk to, eh? <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, sorry, what were we saying there before my phone went off? I think, to be honest, I think that might be good. You know, if someone tries conning you with a sales call, just you con them and start airing all your issues out. And make them maybe, your psychologist. Maybe, maybe that would be a great future podcast. You take sales calls and the goal is to keep them on the line for 10 minutes. But the trick is you have to show no indication that you're actually going to buy the product. Right. And you got to keep the person on the, the phone on the other end 10 minutes. I think that'd be good. And scare them. <laughs> you could. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
Oh, bless, bless. Yeah, I just I need it back. I need it back soon. It's not good for my mental health not to be. See, like that's the thing. When I when I first uh, went up and did it, spoke to a couple of people. Like, where are other shows? Where are other shows? Oh, you could show up here tomorrow night. So like, I did my first show, and then did after that, I did three shows in four days, right? And then um, I, that, I had the kids for the weekend, and I felt like really antsy. Like I hadn't even been in comedy a week, and I'm I'm like kind of antsy, and I'm like you know, kind of like out of it, thinking about jokes, thinking about jokes. And I'm like, why, why am I in such a bad mood? It's like, oh yeah, because I haven't been on stage in two days. <laughs> I'm like, oh, and why does comedy feel so good? Oh, because it's so bloody unhealthy for me. This is, must be where I should be, right? Mm. So, yeah. I mean, I've to be honest, that, though. I've learned That's to balance good. those feelings. No, you are right, though. I mean, comedy, I've always thought of it, but comedy is a lot like a drug, you know, for... for... Oh, yeah. It explains why so many comedians are hooked on them and choose yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. I don't see a ton of drug use around our, our, our scene. Um, I see people, you know, working hard uh, to try and, uh, you know, fulfill their artistic dreams, if you want to get all romantic about it. But... But then again, I don't, I don't hang out all the time. And there's certainly, there was a great, one of the guys did a great meme. I don't know if you've seen, I think it's from a Sandler film where Steve Buscemi is dressed as a teenager. He's in a high school. And uh, he's saying to this kid, he's like, ooh, can I get one marijuana cigarette? Uh, so he's like, clearly a narc, right? So they had that superimposed with my head. Uh, <laughs> like I'm the narc, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> and how did you feel <laughs> and what, I was just what's happy to be included honestly it got 25 <laughs> likes on Facebook I'm like people recognize me this is amazing this is amazing <laughs> oh so you go on stage and say I'm that guy <laughs> I'm that guy I'm that guy hide, hide your hide your drugs the the parents in the room <laughs> now, eh? the adults in the room well I find it a bit funny with with that sort of thing because you know like Sam Kinson took drugs, um, Richard Pryor took drugs, and they became dependent on that to be funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah well that's, see I, I like a drink. I'm not afraid of a puff now and again, you know what I mean? But I, I got to a point and I kind of slipped when we got back because it had been gone so long. But I think you have to make a decision. Are you, you know, are you someone who performs with a couple drinks in their belly or, or not, right? And I, I think I've decided I'd prefer I, I just, I think I have a better time and I think my mind fires a lot better when I'm stone cold sober up there, right? Uh, I see other people, it doesn't seem to affect them at all, but I would, I would hate to get to a place where you had to have two beer to get on stage and perform. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, cause you just got so used to it. It was your routine. And then you got to a point where you just couldn't not go on stage without having two beers. So uh, it's, yeah, yeah. I try and avoid it. <clears throat> I'm not always successful, but such as life oh, of course of course <laughs> is it what well, one thing that i want to look at is how, how does the structure of the canada scene work does it work like you beat someone up you become a semi-pro then you beat another person up and then you knock well, someone out and you become a pro <laughs> where do you have this idea that there's so much violence going on in uh the truth of the matter is um, there are very few clubs here in uh, Canada. Uh, probably the biggest chain is Yak Yaks, which, uh, you know, was probably a great name for a comedy club 30 years ago. 
Uh, I, once again, I shouldn't be slagging them off because they're the only game in town, but I feel like they could use a rebrand. Anyways, and then there's a group called Absolute, and they have three clubs. And uh, I think there's a couple of independent clubs out in Vancouver. Yuck Yucks would have like six or seven across the country. So, you know, getting signed by Yuck Yucks is the big deal. Uh, you know, and you can go, and, well, when there isn't a pandemic, you can go and showcase for the owner anytime you want, uh, you know. Uh, but a lot of people have showcased for him many times. Um, so, like, there isn't, there isn't that massive scene. There's a lot of independent shows. I help one guy... Uh, a guy by the name of Jeff Leeson, who's been a pro comic for 20 years. He uh, travels the country playing Legion Halls, right? So playing to 200, 250 people in towns between three and 33,000 in population. So, <laughs> you know, the, he's doing that all on his own back. So there's no, there's no real structure to it, I think is what I'm trying to say. I guess your, you know, your main goal would be to get on with like Absolute or Yuck Yucks, um, so is there, I hear there's a bit of a divide. I, he, I heard from someone, they said that it, once you do one, you can't do the other. Is that right? Absolutely, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's quite sad. Could you imagine being a Toronto comedian? There are two main comedy clubs in Toronto and you can only play one of them. You know, like. So what is it like the War of the Roses? Is this Game of Thrones? I think it's, I just think it's very old school territorial business mentality, you know, and I can understand Yuck Yuck's point of view in that they do spend a lot to promote their, their acts. Okay. So that's kind of the agreement. We, we're going to promote you. Uh, you're not going to go and make money for other people. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you can't even do out of like small little clubs or like someone says, right, Dan, <laughs> do 50 quid. Look, I, I'm sure everyone's deal is different, and I feel like I'm 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 speaking a bit out of turn. But as I understand it, uh, if you're signed with Yuck Yucks and you do a non Yuck Yuck show, uh, you owe them ten percent of of that that uh, that show, whatever you made off that show, right? Because they're the ones promoting it. Um, yeah. Oh, that's a very big merit. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, really, huh? Isn't it? I hear, I hear um, Yuck Yucks are also a bit like the comedy store in the UK and that they're very fixed and set on what type of comedy they want, whilst the other side are a bit more flexible and open to weird shit and other I, things. I would, I, would agree with, uh, I would agree with the idea that Yuck Yucks, there is a Yuck Yucks type of comedian, right? That, uh, you know, they are looking for a certain type and that's not... That's not, you know, there must be a man, must be a woman, must be transgender. It's a simply like that style of comedy that is really accessible to most people, right? Um, but Mark Breslin, who's owned Yuck Yuck since the very beginning, um, he can, he, I think he still considers himself to be a bit of a rebel. You know what I mean? Like, because they were doing some pretty, you talked about Sam Kinison. Uh, he, he, he used to have Sam Kinison in the club, as the story goes, and he would say, Sam, if you can clear the room within the first 20 minutes, I'll give you like a five grand bonus or whatever like this. You know what I mean? Like to me, to my way of thinking, I was like, that's just abhorrent. Like I couldn't believe they would do that. But you know, like that kind of, that kind of fun mentality, right? Like we don't give a shit mentality. Um, but yeah, there's definitely that, that, that stereotype of a certain yuck yucks type of uh, a comedian. So.
how does how do you get up to that point? Do you just do this open spots here and there and you do well and then they're like, yo, yeah, this guy is sick. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You show that you're you're dedicated and then I believe they have a, a dedicated Wednesday night uh, that they have the comics that they're looking at come out on a Wednesday night, right? Or at least this is the way it used to be uh, before the pandemic. And uh, so they would, you know, you would be signed for a year and they would look at you every Wednesday and see uh, how, what your progress was. And from there, they would pick a new crop of uh, uh, comedians to promote. Why? How does it work in London? You make it sound like it's so structured. Like, Well, it's no, it's just interesting because in London, it's it's they you do well in competitions, you do well in gong shows and then you travel a lot. You do some spots there. People like you, they get spotted and then they recommend you to big clubs and you go semi pro pro. And you get signed, and when you get signed, you get really pushed up quicker. Yeah. And then you go on TV, and then you're sort of a pro comedian, or you're a pro comedian that doesn't go on TV, and you just do lots of clubs around the country. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, you have to realize that that you know, in Canada, it's it's we're only a population of about thirty five million, and uh, which is like half the UK, I think, but we're spread out over a massive amount of landmass. So, uh, you know, there isn't the same opportunity uh, in Canada and that's why uh, you go down to the States. But like that guy that I was working for uh, before the pandemic hit, Jeff Leeson, he was touring the Southern States, putting on his own shows, you know? Um, and it's given me hope that when things open up, if I could add one or two shows a month that I was producing myself, you know, that, uh, uh, people were paying to come and see and we were promoting good talent. I think that would be a good next step coming out of the pandy for me because not everyone understands that, that business side of it or, you know, the effort that needs to go in. Like you should see this guy, Jeff. Like I book, I book his tour when we're touring now, but for like 10 years, he did that all by himself. Like he would, it, comedy to him was 40 hour a week job. Plus you went out in the evenings and performed and he would, you know, book and, and create four shows a week. Uh, it's unbelievable, unbelievable work ethic. When I look around the comedy club, I'm not, I'm not seeing that work ethic on most people, you know. <laughs> you know, but that that that's what'll separate the wheat from the chaff. So, but what what's um, is he is he someone that's just is he famous in Canada or is he just built his online just built his presence through being good and building yeah, a community from being, from being good uh, he offers a really unique show and uh, from getting his head around how to market on social media right so like I'll give you an example two summers ago we booked him in Gander Newfoundland which is like an island off the east coast of Canada right uh, but it was a good town like a town of a hundred thousand people or maybe closer to two hundred thousand but the way he has his social media, like he'll create an individual promo video for each stop, right? And in that case, when they were on the road, they would literally do them from the car, set up the, the, the car, but then they'd send them back to uh, an editor and have them edited and chopped up uh, so they look really, really professional, right? And you get the, the good intro credits and the end credits. And then he'd pay to have that boosted in the local area, right? Depending on how ticket sales were going. If uh, tickets were moving, you don't spend as much, but you can tweak that online, right? And we just, we knew if it got a hundred shares in every town we went to, if it got 55,000 views and a hundred shares, 
we would uh, most likely sell over 200 tickets in that town. Like that's, that's what's so great about social media, the, the way the metrics, that's just like surface level metrics digging into it, right? But like, it's just, it's it very rare that if we could get those kind of numbers online that we wouldn't sell the tickets, you know? Yeah. And how, how is he, is he, is he like your mentor? How's, how has he sort of helped you and like helped you develop as a comedian? Uh, well, that, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, anytime he's in town, I get a guest spot on his shows. Uh, so he, yeah, I, I had that really awkward conversation with him where I'm like, Hey man, do you think, you know, I could come out and do more guest spots? And he's like, damn, you know, uh, anytime you want to do a guest spot on one of my shows, you, you come out and do the guest spot. So, you know, like do seven to 10 off the top. Right. Um, so th that's been, that's been great. And I don't like to pester him too much, but you know, the last time he was in town, I, I got myself, you know, you know what comedy's like, right? So you go through these mediocre shows, you go through these shows that you're excited about, but they end up not being as good as you're excited about. Him coming to town was like, okay, this is going to be a highlight of the last three months of comedy. Uh, it's something to look forward to. It's good in life to have something to look forward to. So on the Friday night, we were sitting there and we'd had a couple of beers. And I find if I have a couple of beers and play the local comedy club, I don't know why. It just doesn't work. I don't connect with the audience in any way. So I always like to play it, you know, stone cold sober. But um, anyways, so we went up, I went up and it didn't go well. It didn't go as well as I thought it was going to be. You know, it wasn't this triumphant performance in front of the boss that I thought it was going to be. And afterwards, I'm like, oh, man, yeah, that didn't go. Uh, that didn't go how I thought it would be. And he goes, well, you know, you got you got to laugh at the end, which was good. He goes, but it really it looked like you gave up after that first joke didn't land. And I'm like, oh, that was like a dagger in my heart. You know what I mean? Like that is the last thing that I was a quitter. That and but when I thought back to it, and when I listened to the set again, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I did. I totally, totally quit there. And uh, you know, I can use him. I drop him as a reference to try and get other jobs in comedy. Uh, not just in, uh, in performing, but, you know, helping book people's tours. One of the main things I did for him was get him uh, free hotels. So we'd make a hotel, the sponsor of the tour stop, and they would give us two, uh, two rooms. So, for example, we were on tour out west for like three months, didn't pay for one hotel, saved the tour like nine grand, you know? That's a huge difference when you're putting a tour on like that, right? So, yeah, yeah, I was very proud of that one as well. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, and yeah, it's, it's, it's funny with, um, how, I mean, it's must, how, how have you, how, I mean, it must be a big relief for you sometimes when you do a small show and then you, when you do a big show like that and you're like, whoa. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, it, it really does feel like a, a, a step up, you know what I mean? And I feel once again, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm uh, bragging, but I think I've, like I've worked hard enough. You know what it's like. You've got your small shows that you do on the regular to work on your stuff, and you're always trying to get booked on shows that pay, right? And, you know, I've got a good reputation amongst all those small shows. I can go in and I can, and I can, I can headline them. They'll let me do 15 at the, at the end of the show as opposed to, you know, seven in the middle. Uh, and that, that, that's really important to me and my development. I want to start regularly doing 20, 25 minutes. You know what I mean? Because that, that, that's it's just that crazy jump up when you think about it from going from 10 minutes to 20 to 25. Because most of the really good paying spots, they, they want you doing 25 minutes to 30 minutes anyways. If you're going to headline, you better have at least 45, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's now you put on an interesting point there because I found that in the, in some parts of America they want you to do forty five, and if you look at magic or street performing, they get forty five minutes or an hour, and in the corporate show they get booked in for an hour, whilst the comedian will get booked in for twenty minutes. And in some <laughs> respects, I look at that and I get a bit jealous because you get so much more time to refine your craft. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, if you if you've got a, a, an hour's performance that you're really proud of uh, and they say, we just want the best 20 minutes of it and we're willing to pay you X. Yeah, that's got to feel pretty good. So when you say magic, you do magic as well, Marvin? I've done a little bit here and there and it's, well, I mean, most of my act is actually me doing magic and interacting right. oh, with people. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that, that goes, yeah, that goes better than a lot of the regular stand-up. That's why I'm working on that. But yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, I That's find awesome. it very interesting. And I had a magician on a podcast. So nice. he told me about all these different things. And yeah, I think one thing I like about comedy is that you get so many options to perform on stage and refine your craft, whilst with other art forms, you don't. But the time is a bit shorter. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's cool. I forgot about that. Interesting. You know, we saw, I, <laughs> we played a weed lounge. Um, so oh. before they legalized weed uh, and there was like this gray area where it's like, everybody knows they're going to do it. All sorts of like, people just started set, setting up stores and selling weed and setting up lounges and you could sit in there and, and uh, smoke weed and uh, watch, watch a comedy show. Right. So they were great venues and it was a different style once again, because if you're playing in front of a stoned audience, it's different than playing in front of a, an audience that's been drinking. Right. Um, but there was a magician came out and he hadn't been doing it that long. And he's like, he goes on stage and his big finale joke, he had four people on stage that he'd brought up from the audience, right? In, in a pot room. And he showed them each a different card, right? And then we're just in the back of the room going, there's no way they're going to remember their cards. They're stoned as fuck, right? There's just no way. So the big finale was that he would just point at them, tell them their card. And as he told them, they would walk off stage, right? To try and create some sort of crescendo to the show. So the first guy he points at, the guy says nothing. He just walks off stage. The second person, no idea what the card could possibly have been. And on it went. It was <laughs> it was just the most hilarious failure I'd ever seen in my life, right? Like as soon as he as soon as he went to get members of the audience, I'm like, this is not gonna go the way he thinks it's gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> What's, is that is that probably your funniest moment in comedy no in terms I, of I, seeing I, something I, strange I and weird I, well there's nothing better there's nothing better than watching eddie murphy was talking about this on comedians in cars getting coffee so i don't feel like i'm breaking new ground here but when you watch like when you watch a friend bomb <laughs> when you're at the back of the room and they're bombing uh, and they know you're at the back of the room watching them bomb. That that's a great feeling. That that that's uh, yeah. There's certain I don't know if Schadenfreude's the right word for it, but uh, there's great joy to be had in watching someone else's misery. Yes. <laughs> I mean, look at Mr. Bean. He he got a lot of <laughs> exactly exactly. But so one thing that I found interesting here is like. <laughs> what have also been like your fascinating moments and what have been your what's been a bigger what the fuck moment than that 
Uh, I tell you, there was one time early on. I was. I, I remember I was telling you I was hosting that show weekly at the Lion's Head, right? So on a good week, you'd have the old regulars at the bar, not facing the stage, but you, they were paying attention. You could get a laugh out of them if something was really good, and then we'd have some young people. Uh, and it was really, it was a really small venue. So the place is thankfully packed. Okay. We're halfway through the show and this, these two girls walk in a blonde and a brunette and they go to sit with the young people. Right. But there's, there's only one chair. So they sat on each other's lap. Right. So they're sat there on her lap. We got the old people at the bar, this table of young people here. And I, uh, when it was my turn to go back up, I said, Oh, you know, thanks. Thanks for joining, joining the show. We've never had Siamese twins before. And everyone at the bar turned around to look at these Siamese twins, which of course they weren't. And the one girl, I'm not going to say it was the blonde, we'll say it was the brunette. The brunette says to me, we don't even look alike. <laughs> you know, Siamese twins are conjoined. They were sitting on each other. Got a, it got a big laugh on the night, Marvin. It got a big laugh. Did I lose you there? No, I mean, it's. it would have been... <laughs> it would have... If I'd been there and seen it, it would have been a much more of an interesting moment. And it just, I mean, I can get it. And I, <laughs> I mean, that's why we do comedy. That's why we do comedy. To hear laughter, you know, I'm desperate to hear laughter. So if you're not going to chip in with some, some pity laughter every once in a while, you know. <laughs> okay, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're not going to take piss out of the Spider-Man again. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Where is Spidey? Is he there? He's, he's just down up. there. <laughs> Getting himself some knowledge. <laughs> um, what? But, you know, I, I, in terms of amazing things, um, I remember one night I was down in a place called Guelph and uh, the, the show was awful. The host was drunk off his head as he usually was. Uh, he was belligerent with a couple of audience members. They, here's the fighting that you've been looking for. Uh, and I, I got up, okay, I got up, and um, the guy who was headlining that night was leaving the next day to go to L.A. He was going to be touring with his old friend, Russell Peters. Okay, so Russell Peters, I, I assume you've heard of him. Who's he again? No. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he plays arenas in Europe, man. He plays freaking arenas. Anyways, um, so... I, I went up and I did really well. Like I took the room from being an absolute nightmare situation, mostly by slagging off the host, you know, but I, I had a really, really great set. And I turned a show that was just dreadful into something that was awesome. And as I walked off stage, the bartender, he recognized what just happened. He's like, here, have a beer. And then this headliner guy who was going to the States, he, uh, he puts his arm around me. He's like, oh, man, that was awesome. Like, who are you? I've never even heard of you before. Like, how long have you been doing this? And blah, blah, blah. And him and I chatted away. And it was just, I, it, it felt like a real high point at that point, you know? Like, that the most amazing thing that had happened to me. And then, like, six months, eight months later, I'm in Toronto at a show. And that headliner's there. And he just completely blanked me. He totally forgot <laughs> who I was. What? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like. <laughs> I completely understand, like, you know, I, I totally get that, right? Um, it, you meet so many people in comedy. I have a terrible time remembering names, but I didn't let it crush me. I didn't let it crush me. I'm just like, that's that that's comedy for you. These amazing highs and these really silly lows. So, <laughs> And I mean, that's what we do it for. I mean, even though you've had, I mean, for the most part, 
it's fantastic. It's a great, great art form and it gives, it gives you a lot. Mm. But what, how would you say comedy shaped you as a person and what do you love about it? That's, okay, well, those are two separate things altogether. Uh, but I tell you what, I tell you what comedy has taught me. Uh, it, I am not a patient, well, I was not a patient person. Uh, I had no patience whatsoever. Uh, so when you get into comedy, you have to learn patience, okay? Because if you show up at the show and you're like, man, I just want to, I just want to get up and do the thing, you're going to end up going first when people might still be walking into the room and, you know, the show's got no momentum behind it, you know? So you want to be in those sweeter spots in the show, right? So you have to learn patience. Some shows when you're, when you're starting out, you go to, you don't know where you are on the bill and you're terrified to ask the booker because he's got a reputation for being a dickhead, right? <laughs> like you're absolutely terrified to ask any questions about where you are on the show. So once again, you have to learn patience, right? And it really has, it has uh, translated into other areas of my life uh, uh, completely. Uh, the thing I love most about comedy is, a, in a way, the simplicity of it. We were talking about this earlier, uh, that... <clears throat> You, if the room's small enough and people are packed in, maybe you don't even need a microphone or a stage, you know, to do comedy. But a microphone and a stage is always a, a blessing. But you don't need to haul in drum kits. There's no lighting rigs, all this crap, right? It's just you. And when you have, when you have a problem in comedy, like when you have a problem making a joke work, you, you don't have to mobilize a team of people. You don't have to hire a boardroom and get whiteboards and you know, buy software and technology to solve the problem. All you have to do is sit and think. You know, it takes, to me, that's just the simplicity of it, the beauty of it, that you don't have to mobilize all these things that you could do it anywhere. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think it would be, if you wanted to put together a band, it would be so much harder. If I wanted to take up painting, it would be so much harder. Uh, comedy uh, is simplicity. It has a real simplicity to it. And one thing about comedy that's interesting, how much would you say success is, or how important is it to be good with people? And how, how, now how do you get the right balance of like being nice, but not being done over in comedy? Right, right. Um, yeah, you just gotta always stick up for yourself, get agreements uh, in the beginning, um, you know? I don't know. I, once again, maybe I have a different attitude. Uh, but like if I go to uh, uh, a room and say there's four waitresses working the room or whatever, you know, on the way out, I'll say thank you to the manager for, for, for like if it's not like a dedicated comedy club, right? Like if they're, it's a bar putting on shows and trying to make comedy work, you know, take a moment to say thank you to people and just be straight up, you know, like that's, that's how you avoid being nice and not kind. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, that's a tough one. Um, because I know for me, because like I've been in, in business so long, having the tough conversations with people about how much we're getting paid, uh, what kind of money you're going to put behind marketing, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's not, it's not challenging for me. And I could see, especially the comedian type, it being really, really, really hard for certain individuals to do that. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I would just, get it in writing um maybe maybe create like maybe one thing you could add to people looking to 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 create shows is create your own crib sheet of what you need to host the show right maybe you get get all those notes down on one piece of paper and you could give that to someone and say look if you're looking to start your own show this is what you need to do right this is how you need to build it 
Uh, and that giving them the framework, much like me listening to all those podcasts, having the framework about an idea of what it actually is, uh, might demystify it for a lot of people. Because one thing I find interesting is a lot of the times, sometimes, you s I mean, how do you get it right in terms of networking, but sort of networking in the right way, where you're not a suck up. But like, right, right. but like, but you know, you're not a kiss ass person, but you're also being authentic, and yeah. also you're like, you're not being pushed around. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I remember something Bill Burr said about that subject. Uh, like he was at some industry after party, and he turned to one of the other comedians and said, you know, that's something I'm not good at is schmoozing, you know. And the comedian looked at him and said, well, you better fucking get good at it. You know, like, it, this is where the deals happen. This is, if you're not good at schmoozing, get good at schmoozing, because it's all part of that. I, I, I wish we lived in an idealistic world where just it was, everything was given to you based on your craft, but we don't, right? So, you know. Just get good at kissing ass and make sure you wear I don't, lipstick. I don't, I don't, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't think you have to kiss ass. I mean, you got to... People see through bullshit, don't they? Like, if you're genuine, if your if your compliment is genuine, you know, then uh, then then yeah, I don't think you have to run around lying to people about stuff just because you think they have an opportunity for you. But I would I would avoid being brutally honest as well. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting thing. Like, don't be Gordon Ramsay, but don't be like one of those as as you know, one of these person goes, yes, yes, yes. How can I please you? How can I please you? How can I please you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like when it comes to like trying to please a venue or those kind of relationships, if you, if you're doing, you have to look out for yourself, right? You have to remember what you wanted to get out of uh, uh, the situation. Right. So let's say you're talking to a venue and you're like, Oh, I want 200 pounds to put on a show. And they're like, we're not going to give you 200 pounds, but you come here. And if you do shows for a month, every week and you can build something, we would look at it at the end of, of that month, right? Um, yeah, well, I forget where I was going with that. I've lost the thread on that one. As soon as math gets involved, right? What would you look, think comedy's gonna happen in like after COVID times? How do you think things are gonna be? Uh, I think there'll be a slow reopening. So um, like for our club, levity it doesn't really make sense if uh we have less than 50 people in the place so the last time we were we were open that's what you were allowed you were allowed 50 patrons spread apart six feet so if a table of four comes in they can't be closer to six feet than anyone else which is okay because the thing um the 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 club holds about 130 people right so uh i think it's going to be really really slow i i think the idea of hand washing and you know other cultures wear masks all the time like if you're ill you wear a mask so you don't spread your germs i could see that coming in i don't want comedy audiences that are wearing masks uh i think that'll take away from the enjoyment of it all right you know it'll be even harder to read whether they're having a good time or not uh, is he laughing i can't see his mouth um but yeah i think uh i i, I think it'll come out stronger because i think that people well, people will be bored of being at home and streaming stuff. The desire for live will be back in a big way, right? And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope it's going to be good times. And who, who is your hero? 
Who's my hero? Uh, I have a lot of comedy heroes, actually. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, for sure. Uh, I love Stuart Lee. Um, absolutely adore him. I can't get anyone in Canada interested in him. <laughs> but I think he's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I'll say those two. I'll say those two. I think I, I well, Sarah Silverman probably deserves a, a, a special uh, mention because I'm pretty sure for this first six months of my comedy life, I was just doing a really bad Sarah Silverman impression from about 10 years ago, you know? So <laughs> I've evolved since then. I've evolved. <laughs> oh, you just can't pull off the heels. That's true, too. That's true. Uh, I haven't got the ankles for it. <laughs> but what was it about them that you like about them? Is it their rawness? Is it their not-give-a-shit attitude? Um, uh, well, Seinfeld, I think, is just really, really clever, you know, and you can see the work that he's put into it. Uh, Stuart Lee, you know, I don't, I don't know which bit of his you want to sit and dissect because I think they're all, like, they're all, like, many movies. I don't even... Like I watch most of his stuff on YouTube because I don't I don't get the BBC over here, right? And like usually he has a, a series on the BBC, doesn't he? Anyways, uh, anyways, he may or may not. But uh, what I love about Stuart Lee is that he can he can find the funny in anything, and he can find the funny in repetition, right? Uh, and yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like he's operating on a level that's about a light year ahead of everyone else. And I think there should always be a comedian who who talks about the state of the industry and, you know, uh, that brings to that certain alarmist level that, you know, the, 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 the form of comedy is no longer pure, uh, I think is the idea. Because he does, he does a great job of taking the piss out of some of his <laughs> competitors or, or you know, uh, compatriots. And what's a, what's a surprise you think? So if my, if my name is Jim and I'm a builder and I look at you and say, right, done, he's, he's, a, he's this bloke, he's this bloke, what sort of surprise would you have? <laughs> what, no, so what, 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 let's rephrase that. What, what's something that's surprising about you for someone that doesn't know you? Uh, that's surprising about me? Um, well, I play ukulele. If you didn't know me, you wouldn't know that. If you've never oh. taken the bus from Burlington to Hamilton, you wouldn't know that I play ukulele, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, I only started playing it once again, like four years ago. Uh, actually, I got the ukulele before the divorce. I don't think it led to the divorce, but it could have been a contributing factor now that I think about it. Um, I guess when there's dishes to be done, uh, you're not really supposed to be learning a new instrument. Okay, who knew? I didn't know, okay? <laughs> So anyways, yeah, I guess that would be surprising. I really love it too. I love, once again, the simplicity of it. It's not a guitar that I have to lug around. <clears throat> I can just pluck away and keep my fingers busy. And uh, yeah, yeah, there's your big surprise. So two more things I want to ask you is like, what is a surprising aspect of your personality that people wouldn't expect, like in terms of your character, looking at you? Uh, I, yeah, that, that's a great one. Um, I, it's, 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 it's not shyness, but there's a certain nervousness that I have in new situations. Uh, and uh, I think people would find that odd because, you know, I traveled Europe by myself, made many great friends. I, uh, I, I go up and I do stand-up comedy every chance I get. And the idea that, you know, that I would be nervous in a new situation might be surprising because I'm such a gregarious 
person, right? You know, always quick with a joke and, and the like. But every time I, I'm in a new situation, uh, I have to really fight with this. But like, you know, this, this cloud uh, comes over me where I'm like, uh, you know, I'm not going to get along with any of these people. These people are all idiots. Why do I have to be here? Like just sort of like nasty, nasty, negative stuff. And then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll meet a person or uh, something will happen. You'll get into this new situation and everything's fine. And I sit there and I think to myself, why does my brain waste time? with all this kind of negative energy when he knows by now that everything's going to be fine. So yeah, I think people would find that a surprise. And what are your key values in terms of people and yourself? That's a gay question as well. Uh, one of my key values, and maybe this doesn't count as a, a key value, but my kids ask me, you know, what, what, what do you value? Like, I don't I don't own a lot of things okay I don't like owning possessions I don't like having to take care of things you know uh, I like simplicity um, where was I going with that uh, what was the question again I've got on a tangent there you're wearing so, me out what, what are your key values in life well my key values the thing that I value most uh, is good conversation you know uh, I find the art of conversation it's maybe, maybe, maybe it's dying. Who knows? I find it, it, it hard to find good conversation. People that are actually listening to you and not just waiting for their turn to speak. You know, that's something I value. Uh, I value honesty and I, 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 I value science. Uh, I feel that uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, myth and uh, superstition in the world. Then I think we'd be a lot better off if we put a little bit more faith in science. So you don't like you don't like religion then? You're an atheist. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not a I have no use for your religion type of atheist. I used to be that kind of atheist, you know. But because I just think that you're allowed you're allowed to believe whatever you want, right? Like who am I? Who am I, right? So yeah, I'm I would categorize myself as an atheist. Uh and I always liked the way that Christopher Hitchens looked at it, that you know, a, a celestial dictatorship, like why why would we give ourselves over to something like that when we fought so hard for our freedoms? <laughs> it, no, <laughs> and what, <laughs> what do you, yeah, I think it's, I hope you've had fun, Dan. I hope you've enjoyed being been, on. Uh, Marvin, we have been on shows together. The time that I played the Grove, you weren't there. That's why I didn't know you were a magician. magician. Uh, all the other ones we've been on were the Heckler Show. But I know you better than anyone in London, and I, we've never actually met. <laughs> That's true. That's crazy, isn't it? You're, you don't, don't let anything bad happen to you, because uh, you're the only person I know in London. Okay. Yeah, well, with the travel ban, like, but with the day job, I'm, I'm gonna, I have very good reason. The reason I was there in September 2019 uh, was because of the big financial conference. So uh, I will be back in London, and uh, I'm... I'm looking forward to getting a, a reputation in that town too.